0: Well, Tour of New Zealand was one of my family's favourite board games back in the 1960s. My sister and I came across it in a Dunedin op shop last year and had an instant nostalgia hit. We bought it, of course, and played it. During the lockdowns, many families dusted off board games and turned to them for entertainment and something to talk about. But in many other households, it was just the perfect excuse to spend more time rolling dice and moving counters and going all out to be victorious. So what's the enduring appeal of board games and what are Kiwi designers thinking about when they create new ones? From Shill Mill Games, I'm joined by Amanda Milne, Juliet Schiller from Cheeky Parrot Games, who was also founder and former co-director of Shill Mill Games, and prolific games designer Richard Durham. Join me now. Right, kia ora, everybody. First of all, Amanda, what was your favourite childhood board game and why?
1: Oh,
2: that would have been anything I could convince my family to play with me. And I think the only ones we had at that time were Monopoly and Cluedo and Mousetrap. Yeah, not a great selection when I was a kid. And Julia, what
0: about you?
1: Oh, yeah, we had a lot of games. I guess I really liked Mastermind because I was good at narrowing down um, the combinations and getting it right. And I could be really obnoxious and be like, I think you've scored me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you've just taken me right to your household there And Richard, what about you?
3: <laughs> uh, kia ora, Lynn uh, thanks. Uh, A bit oddball here My favourite game growing up was a game called Battle Masters Which was this giant floor-based game With a, a mat that was maybe like a couple of metres long And you'd place little armies on it, move them across it. it was really quite immersive I would play with my older brother
0: When we think about some of those top Best, you know, top sellers. So you've got Monopoly that you've mentioned about making money. You've got Scrabble making words, Risk military strategy, Pictionary drawing or not in my case, True Pursuit, mm-hmm. general knowledge. You know, a uh, backgammon. You know, um, all so very and wonderfully different. Uh, Richard, what do you think then? Is their enduring appeal?
3: Oh, uh, you know, you've done it. You've done a great job about identifying some of the mechanics. I think the enduring appeal is a lot of these board games are more generalized than that. Like you get things that help test your strategy, or things that are quite immersive and allow you to express yourself by creating things or uh, are quite relaxing, actually, um, times to spend with friends. So there, there's a whole different range of kind of experiences you can have with tabletop games, as you can with many experiences. Um, I'd say that the, the the added bonus of these tabletop games is, of course, that it's kind of a human level, like this idea that uh, we're we're interacting with people directly face to face, and we're manipulating these objects that are right in front of us so we don't have to an, a mediating device of any kind or um yeah so so it, it helps really to uh, to bring about those experiences in a shared way which of course helps uh, cement them in our minds.
0: Amanda is there a, a formal definition of a board game? I mean I imagine it doesn't have to have dice die it doesn't have to have counters presumably it has to have a board.
2: No no it doesn't these days um, some of the board games these days, you create the working area on your table from other things, not necessarily a board that you unfold and place on the table. Like it may be an array of cards, so the board is a different experience every time. So it's hard to define a board game, but I would say it's something that you play with physically, usually on a table, but even that not necessarily so. But it's like Richard was saying. It's a shared experience where you're playing, usually with other people, to meet some defined rules that are the rules of the game, and with an objective, which is the winning of the game. So within that, there's a huge range of variation.
0: So, Julia, when you're designing a board game, what are you keeping in mind? What do you think are the must-haves for a board game to succeed?
1: Mm, well, it has to be fun, obviously. Uh What are the must haves? I tend to go for appealing themes myself, and I actually do think about aesthetics a lot because, you know, a game can be, you have to have something that kind of grabs people and um, makes them interested enough to play. So it has to look pretty, I think, Um, which might not be the first thing. I guess I think that way because I'm more of a publisher these days. So when I'm pitched an idea, I have to think about, will this fit into my range? You know, um, how can I make it look?
0: Richard, you're very keen on using board games in the classroom. Why? What? What? What do they offer kids and teachers uh, that just I don't know. It's uh, there's interactivity, of course, but I think it's more than that.
3: Yeah, although interactivity. If I if I put it a different way, I'd say the fact that games are one of those mediums where you you have agency, and the agency is that art form. So you, because it's a study in relationships and systems, like these interacting systems. Um, you can get a lot of implicit learning out of that by experiencing it. And so you don't need to be uh, you know, very heavy-handed when you're playing a game when to get people to learn something. So I, I like using them in classrooms or in edu- any educational setting, um, really, or or more casually than in a classroom, simply because people can explore a system and identify the kind of tensions because of the outcomes of actions they're taking. And so when they discover these relationships themselves, it, it cements a bit more. They get a, a lower level or in their brain understanding of how these systems work together.
0: I thought a good example of, of a big issue Māori Pakeha relations uh, on this, the game you collaborated with on um, Hohi 1816. Talk us through how that works.
3: Oh Sure. Yeah, that was a collaboration with Ruth Lemon and um, based on the works of Alison Jones and Cootie Jenkins. Um, and uh, that game was. Uh, meant to be played with first-year teacher trainers um, so students in in uni and uh, and it was meant to kind of expose them to the histories of of New Zealand schools and um, and the first mission school which failed spectacularly and uh, originally conceived as kind of a trivia game uh, as you might do with like a trivial pursuit and you're just kind of asking questions Uh, we realized quite quickly that the that some of the issues were what were the relationships between people places things and events. And so we went with a, a game that was a lot more exploratory, so one where you're uh, going to, to, to locations and, and kind of guessing at what might be there because of, a, of an image and then kind of interacting with players like you might in a pick a path book, uh, going on and going, then going on quests and trying to prioritize which locations you go to, et cetera. And uh, as a result, you try to find a, a good path through this story, trying to complete these objectives. Uh, and there's a bit of a tension, of course, because you don't want to run out of time in the game, a bit of a conceit that we use to make it um, more fun. And uh, a- as a result, the the players are learning to prioritize these relationships in terms of their importance to the narrative. And as a result, they they kind of can talk about them afterwards and saying, oh, well, this person was quite important or this person wasn't very important. And they they learn those characters based off of how they interacted with them.
0: Julia, a good title is really important too. I was just looking at some <laughs> of cheeky parrots titles. I particularly like Cat Capers, being a cat person, um, and you've got, you know, <laughs> Granny Wars, Flaming Pyramids, Flipology, Horde. I think is one of your best sellers. So I thought I'd get you to talk to that,
1: please. Oh uh, yeah, well, Horde is very easy to learn, especially anyone who's ever played a Rummy-like card game. that just, um, you know catch onto it quite quickly and um instead of collecting boring things like spades and six seven eight you are stealing treasure from a sleeping dragon who bears no resemblance whatsoever to smog tm <laughs> and the dragon the players have a bit of control over the dragon too because some of the cards um can wake it up in stages it sort of wakes from the tail to the head in three parts So you can either wake the dragon or soothe the dragon because the idea is to get the most treasure, get it on the table where it's safe, and then maybe end the game before other players can catch up to you. And waking up the dragon is one of the most fun and dramatic ways to end the game. Cat capers? (laughs) That was actually designed by Kiwis because I was thinking it's funny you're talking to New Zealand-based designers, but all of us are expats. But there are Kiwis designing games, and that was designed by um, a couple of um, people who live on the North Shore, a couple uh, you get to be a cat for a day. So there are little houses and um, in secret, you decide which which house you want to visit to get the treat. Um, and then you reveal and you have paws, basically. So I might put two paws on this house. And if someone else has put three paws, then we might have a little cat fight with cards. And whoever comes out on top gets the treat, which is worth a certain number of points.
0: Loving it. Amanda, what about from Shill Mill? <laughs> what are a couple of uh, your bestsellers? Uh, my best seller is
2: probably Australia, that's Australia with a Z, um, which is a fantasy, fantasy game set in the 1930s about Australia being discovered for the first time. And you start by building um, ports and railways and you're exploring into the middle of Australia, but halfway through the game there's a kind of a switch and it becomes a fantasy game because the creatures called the Old Ones, which are the Lovecraft creatures like zombies and Cthulhus and Shoggoths, they wake up in the outback and they start moving towards your um, assets and attacking you. So it becomes starts as an economic building exploration game and then it flips into a fight for your life and help all the other players stay alive kind of game. Can't go wrong with
0: a zombie or two. What's another <laughs> one?
2: Um, Manifest is the game that uh, Julia and I designed together about Um, eight years ago and that's about shipping in the 1920s so you're a you're the owner of a shipping company and you're competing for the best contracts and you have to pick up goods and deliver them to different parts of the world with different shipping routes and try to avoid the pirates that are coming after you and that kind
0: of thing. Richard when you are designing a game what about the instructions because you know i find i I hate learning curves, and sometimes I'll look at instructions that are really complicated or lots of parts, and I'll, my heart will sink because it's going to take me a while to get my head around it. Do so you have to think about that. I mean you want it to be complex enough to be interesting and engaging, but but not not disheartening, yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um when I'm when I'm designing a game I, I write the rule book from the go. I keep it live. Every test I iterate it and every time it gets too complicated I try to strip things back. And I also try to put lots of graphics into my rule books so that everything that's maybe slightly complicated has got an illustrative picture next to it, not just the verbal description. And I also do quite a bit of blind testing where Before I publish Mm -hmm. a game, I give the whole thing to people that have never seen it before and ask them to learn the game from the rule book and to see where they get stuck or if they have a a smooth time. So there are ways around uh, minimising those kind of problems, getting through to publication.
0: I heard you agreeing with that, Richard, in the background. Just to to wrap this up, what what games are you working on at the moment? Are you
2: asking me? Richard. Um, Oh, Richard, Ah. Okay.
3: Uh, uh, right now, I'm working on a game that I started years ago, which is a game about a uh, very, very attractive theme about NGOs and uh, how they work with different stakeholders uh, in local countries uh, in order to achieve kind of whatever their goals are and the kind of tensions that there are when trying to achieve the various goals that the different stakeholders have. And uh, that doesn't sound like a great idea for a game, but really when you have a shared experience like this or a game when the, you have interesting tensions and trade-offs, the experience is going to come out of that more than just the the layer of the setting that you have and and so it's I think it's going to be a quite a great game when it's done in terms of how um, useful it will be for different audiences
0: Well thank you all uh, Richard Durham from the University of Auckland Julia Schiller from Cheeky Parrot Games and from Shillmill Games, Amanda and thanks for your feedback, we've heard from listeners recommending uh, Vit Culture Paladins of the West Kingdom, that sounds like fun, the Garfield Games Pandemic, everyone cooperates, playing against the game, takes roles to defeat the Lurgies. so tense, so exciting, so much fun and a reminder that we can win if we work together and ticket to ride the 1912 Europe version